Karina here, and do you mind if I get something off my chest really quickly? It's nothing big. Just how as someone who spends a lot more time than the average person critiquing and discussing media, I have this strange fear of film festivals. Or at least I did until about a month and a half ago. I won't lie. It's a pretty strange thing to be afraid of, but the more I think about them, the more I think about the fact that they are the perfect combination of things I love and absolutely despise about movies. Lots of people, ew, getting together to talk about and watch movies, yes, but paying a lot of money to do so, no thank you, while meeting the people who actually created them, awesome. Even with this odd fear, I found myself at two very different, very interesting film festivals, both in the same weekend. And this episode is all about the one right down the street in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and one of the people who helped make it all happen. So let's set the scene on film festivals. I have to see my little sound waves going up and down, so they're doing really well so far. Oh God, they're so wavy. We have today Caroline Van, programming assistant for the River Run International Film Festival and head projectionist for Aperture Cinema. I have Caroline with me today. Thank you for agreeing to be a part of this. And this is going to be really casual, just like a conversation cool. that we're having. That's what so I was hoping for. Don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Just be honest. Don't say anything that will catch you fired. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll try. I, I think the questions are pretty like not yes <laughs> intense in that way at all so the first one is kind of a little introduction of yourself so okay. I like to ask this question what do you do and why do you do it oh okay well in terms of work in my career um I'm currently working two jobs um I just finished my first full run of a film festival working um like on the staff and I was the program assistant for the River Run International Film Festival here in Winston-Salem and basically what that is is as the program assistant you just watch a ton of short films um because we have such a high volume of submissions I was just kind of there to pick up like that huge excess. Mm -hmm. Um, And then within that, I would kind of give my opinions on them, whether or not I thought that they were um, something that we should be programming and showing during the festival. And then um, when the festival actually started um, on April 4th, and it went through the 14th, so it was a really long time, um, I was obviously not watching the films because they had already been selected. Mm -hmm. So then my job became more like doing introductions and making sure we like thanked all the right people. And then after the films, I would be doing like kind of post-film Q&As with whoever was able to attend the festival from the filmmaking team. Um, So like directors, actors, actors. editors and producers, stuff like that. So that was what I did for River Run. And then during the year, not during the festival, I am also the head projectionist, as I said, at Aperture Cinema, which is just kind of um, getting all the films ready to run throughout the week and like kind of like uh, making the playlist for them, getting all the right cues for like light, sound, aspect ratio, um, and then also training the staff there how to run the equipment as well. So 
that is what I do currently. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Now, kind of like, why do you do that? I, I think <laughs> because like a- it's not, it's such a simple answer. Mm-hmm. I love movies. I literally think that they are like the height of like art and accessibility. And I just think that like, it's the greatest form of storytelling to me, to me personally. Like, and that's the one that like affected me the most because when I was in high school, I used to write a little bit and then I never watched movies. I loved TV. I loved specifically reality TV, like that type of stuff. Um, and then like, there was just this one summer I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee and I don't think a lot of people know this, but it rains a lot there. Um, And there was this one summer where it just rained like every single day. And I was working at Earth Fair in the juice bar. And I didn't really have that much of like, I didn't really have uh, the desire to have a social life. And so I just started watching movies like constantly. And it just like like sparked this flame in me that I just like could not put out. Um, And it's just only gotten like worse, essentially. Worse or better. Worse or better. It's better because now I'm like profiting off of my love for movies. Um, And also I have a social life now again, in case anybody's worried. Um, And also cinemas are so social and I love to like stress that to people. Like it's actually a great place for conversation. Um, And so I just like being a part of that and bringing it to people because there's a lot of people, I think, with Aperture specifically and with film festivals who think like it's something they either need to be invited to or it's something that they're not really like supposed to be at or it's not really for them. And I think it's for everybody. And I like to work within those spaces to make it for everybody. So like Aperture will do like free screenings or Riverrun will do free screenings and just like making sure people know about them and like knowing that there's ways to go to the cinema, to go to the film festival, even if you like can't afford it at the moment, or if you feel like you wouldn't get what's being shown, you can give it a shot. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. But you kind of went into my next question that I wanted to ask you, which was, do you think that there are stereotypes of film festivals? Yes. And if so, what do you think they are? I think people, so when I first moved to Winston, I thought film festivals were Sundance and, uh, what is it? The one in France. <laughs> oh, the the Cannes? Cannes, yeah. I always hesitate to say it because I feel like I'm not saying it right. Um, so I just refer to it as the one in France. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought that that was what it had to be. And, like, maybe Toronto. I think that one had, like, was on my, like, radar a little bit. But they were just kind of seen as something, like, very glamorous that celebrities went to, that, like, big movies went to. And, again, it was stuff that I was like, that's for, like, rich people or that's for, like, you know, I don't know, like, celebrities and stuff like that, stuff that I wasn't a part of. And I just figured, like, they got to screen it all and they celebrated it and I didn't even understand what went on there. Um, And then I figured it just, like, kind of trickled its way to, like, the, the broader market. And then I moved to Winston-Salem and um, one of my friends was an intern there and she was like, oh yeah, it's the River International Film Festival. And I was like, what? Like a film festival here in Winston-Salem? Like what? Um, And so I got to, I volunteered my first year and I figured out kind of like what it was. And I realized it's just kind of like a a nonprofit, like big kind of art celebration with a lot of sponsorship, a lot of donors. Um, And then... I realized that there are ways to go to it. So I like got my voucher and I started going to the films and stuff like that. Um, and then I had my big movie summer that I referred to earlier. And uh, when I came back from that, I was like, well, 
I really want to get a job off campus to just like broaden my horizons and Aperture was in, within walking distance. So I went there. And again, I remember going and specifically in my interview saying like, I want people to feel like they can actually come here because like nobody at Salem ever really went to movies at Aperture. Like it wasn't, it was just kind of like this weird like building that nobody I feel like felt like they could ever go into. And it was open during weird hours. And like, I don't know, it, it never, it obviously wasn't showing like very like, uh, like blockbuster movies. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was also kind of like, Oh, am I supposed to know what that is? And am I supposed to get it already? Um, so yeah, I think that there's a huge, uh, misconception. Although I think, I mean, part of it, I think is valid, but I think there's definitely, um, what's the word for it? Like, perceived barriers to those things that I really, really like to make a point to break down. Do you think that these kind of like stereotypes uh, that film festivals have gathered, do you think there's correct kind of like historical roots in that? And if so, do you see that today with the people who are attending film festivals? Yes, I think that um, obviously if you're paying like I think it's like twelve fifty for a ticket and film festivals a year like the whole kind of culture around it is that you see a ton of movies um and so in order to do that you have to have money so that already kind of puts it like in a weird class structure and then um a lot of the films that I think like historically have been programmed have not been representative or have fallen into something that all films for a long t- or like I guess all mainstream films kind of like perpetuated like certain like um cultural stereotypes and like demographic stereotypes and stuff like that um so I think that also made it kind of something why would you want to participate in for certain people um and so but I think it's the economic barrier specifically that really just like leaves people not even interested in getting to know more about it um and understandably so like that's very very valid you can't pay you can't see 15 films and be paying 12.50 for each one like what college student or like what like just general person could really do that I couldn't do it and then so that kind of leads to the whole like and then if people are doing that and they're not paying 12.50 they're probably attached to some sort of like sponsorship or donors and then they get those as like perks which means that they're like also they have the money to be sponsoring it or they have the money to be like donating to it. So um, I think that all of that is valid. So that's why I think that a lot more film festivals are coming up with ways to kind of do like time trade. Like if you if people really want to see the films, like they can volunteer and then get a voucher for it or they'll do uh, they'll get grants to do like big free screenings for like a ton of people. So I think that it's changing, but by no means is it false that those were kind of built up around them. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the underlying importance, not only for people who want to see films, but for creators who want to showcase their films of smaller film festivals like River Run? Hey, Verena again, and this is our first aside. Aside, a theater term for lines spoken to the audience, you, by a character on stage, me, that aren't heard by the other actors, in this case, Caroline. This podcast is my stage, and I know, you've just started to get into the interview, so I'll try and make it quick, but I need to tell you a little bit about the Sundance Film Festival. It started humble with the Sundance Institute, an organization based in Utah and founded by Robert Redford in 1980 that worked to foster indie film. 
1985 U.S. Film Festival was renamed the Sundance Film Festival when the organization obtained creative and administrative control. Now, the small initiative and name has grown to represent what is often thought of as the best of independent film. However, like Adam Soule points out in his 2017 essay, In Defense of Sundance, examining the film festival's place in American independent cinema in the age of Netflix and Amazon, the Sundance Film Festival has also grown to maintain a steady flow of major celebrity engagement, corporate endorsement, and other aspects of Hollywood filmmaking while also running the Sundance Institute to support independent creators and a culture on an almost opposing side of the Hollywood glamour. But, Stoll concludes, this glamour only exists on the surface of Sundance and, quote, as long as Sundance continues to discover new talent and show outstanding independent films, elements of the Hollywood establishment and the mainstream will continue to flock to the festival, end quote. Because, as the rest of this podcast will make abundantly clear, the good stuff isn't always in Hollywood. Basically what you just said, it's smaller. It's not Sundance. Like, it's not these, like, bigger, like, kind of buzzier names. It's not Toronto, like, where you feel like you need to be attached to a celebrity in order to get to go. Although that's not really the case, but that's definitely, like, it. to me, it's image. Um, And so... I don't know. There were so many people that I met this past festival that were just like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, this was, like a lot of them was the first time they ever got to see their movie on a big screen. Um, and so it's just like I like it because we do a specific section where we highlight like North Carolinian films. So like either films like about North Carolina or films made in North Carolina. And already the South isn't really seen as like a huge mecca of like cinema and I really think that that's changing and being reclaimed and a lot of people like because people in the south have great stories to tell like a ton and so I like that a film festival like River Run can specifically highlight it and like and it's so well supported because people love to support their community so those are some of our most popular screenings are like the NC shorts or like specific like NC tagged films um and then I like it because people who have traveled from other places to come here, then get to see it too, and then take it with them. So to me, that's the importance of having like a local community film festival. And I know that they've popped up like all over the country, like almost everywhere I feel like now has a film festival and they're important. Going off of that, you you have this idea that film and like Hollywood, mm-hmm. there's like this glamour that surrounds it and it's kind of isolated in very few spaces. Yes. Like, at this point, you have, like, Toronto, France, Paris, <laughs> Los Angeles. Atlanta is on the rise yes. right now. But it's kind of, like, isolated in these places. And it makes it seem like the idea of good movies and good storytelling is concentrated in those yes. places. Yes. And that talent, as well, is concentrated mm-hmm. in those places. But then I think I met, because I volunteered, too, yes. for River Run, and I met... A director who flew in that day from Denver to see his film and he was only there for like one day and he was like I just came and I like blew the rest of my budget on this plane ticket and I drove from like um Charlotte to Winston-Salem because I just wanted to see like my film like 
it was so big to him and it was a short film too so it wasn't i love and shorts. he it, he you could see the joy on his face that this was just something that he never thought was possible and that film festivals probably were this thing that was like i can't get a movie mm-hmm. in a film festival It'll probably just end up on youtube at yeah. the end of the yeah, century yeah. Vimeo. but <laughs> but i think stories like that are becoming less and less rare Mm -hmm. and i think that's a very important thing that we need to come to terms with yes there are people who are making films in the middle of nowhere um there are people who have a story but all they have is an iphone and they're making that work yeah and i think it's it's breaking down the barrier of storytelling Mm -hmm. and having your ideas have worth and value and people want to see them and they want to yes. see what goes on in your brain yes and it's important and it's I don't think that can be stressed enough yes and it, it really is these like although I don't think Riverrun is like as small obviously as it used to be it's really growing but it's small in comparison to other ones and it um it really is so important because um and it's like kind of like what you touched on is like it's so meaningful to them that we've programmed their film but it's so meaningful to us that they submitted it and they gave us a reason to have a film festival What are you watching when you're off the clock? Oh my God. I watch so many movies. It's my New Year's resolution to watch 365 movies oh my at goodness. least. And wait, let me pull up my letterbox. This weekend I watched, I think, five films. And I'm really so excited because they were like completely just from based on like what I decided to watch. It was not an intention. They were all female directed films and they were all, oh, they were so good. I watched a lot of subtitles this weekend. <laughs> oh, no. But, like, I love that. I'm the one who always has, like, subtitles on. Because yes. I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss something. Even if it's in English. Like, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss something. Oh, and, like, my writing goodness. and words have always been, like, so important yes. to me. And I know how much the writers put into picking the right words, the right tone, mm-hmm. and everything. So I have subtitles yes. on. It's blocking the bottom of the movie. No. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, I have like screen. three things I want to say about this. First, I watched Beyonce's Homecoming with the subtitles on because I was Same. like, I want to read the lyrics. And it's awesome. Um, like I intentionally was just like, yep, subtitles. And then uh, another thing is working as the head projectionist at Aperture Cinema is it is my freaking mission to get open caption screenings like on a weekly regular normalized basis because there are so many reasons that people want to see films with open captions it could be that they're just like really old and they're losing their hearing they could be deaf like they might just want to be able to read what it is like it just opens up a world of accessibility and just like enhances so many experiences it's not a hindrance at all to have open captions the end (laughs) (laughs) if i could like my dream world would be if we had like every day we usually have two screenings of a film just make one of them open caption just one (laughs) like every single day it would just mean so much to so many people and it would and i mean i would choose to probably go see like a majority of the open caption ones because i have a terrible time with character names and being able to read it makes a world of difference to me i can't tell you how many films i've seen where i leave them loving the film but could not tell you the main character's name <laughs> i really couldn't like it's just 
I, there's so much still to progress in the world of like independent cinema and film festivals and something that River ended this year that I think like almost made me like want to cry because I was like, it's so easy to do this and you did it and it meant so much to people was we did um, sensory friendly screenings. We do Saturday morning cartoons um, and it's free, open to the public. We give like little snacks and stuff and it's like a huge venue so a lot of people can come and it's one of our most popular things. But on the first weekend we did it and then I believe the schedule's kind of already left my mind, but I think it was the second weekend we did the sensory friendly screening of it where people with autism or people who can't be quiet in theaters or people who don't really fall into that normal um, kind of behavior for like a a theater experience, um, we invite them to come and they can be as loud as they want. They can get up and move. They can like scream. They can laugh. Like they can do whatever they want. And it's normalized and it's encouraged and it's like a safe space. And it's the exact same shorts that we showed for the other people. So it's not any different and I don't know I think it's not like and it's not an effort to like segregate the two it's just an effort to kind of give them that space Mm -hmm. um so and then I've been talking to a lot of people and just like open captions I just want them for everyone (laughs) (laughs) captions matter and not just for the deaf or hard of hearing don't believe me Well, believe the studies, dozens of them, proving the wide range of benefits that come with displaying captions on screen. Mitterer and McQueen found that subtitles assist speech learning for those studying a second language. Davy and Parkill found that they increase the vocabularies of adolescents. Real-time captioning in college lectures, Steinfeld's study showed increases in student attention span back in 1998. The list goes on and on. And on. But also, do our deaf and hard of hearing community members a solid and ask for captions at your next screening. Thank you. A lot of people, until you, if you don't need captions, like, if, like even if it's just a preference for you, but if you don't need them, you don't even realize that it's something that people like require and are like not given. And also a lot of the like closed or the open caption like systems that we have, like we have um, something called captive view uh, and things that are kind of set in place to just kind of pick up on the dialogue and then spit it back out um, have a lot of flaws. Oh. They'll just straight up drop out dialogue. And that, it, it, that makes me so angry and it like, when I get angry, like I get like a little teary eyed, but I get <laughs> really emotional about it because it's just not fair. Like you're not getting the same story that everybody else is getting just because the equipment isn't given the time and attention that it needs, that it deserves to be better than it is. It's 2019. It should not be dropping dialogue still. And the captive view is something that goes in your cup holder. Um, so you can't even watch the movie and watch your captive view at the same time. You are constantly either like looking up and down um, or you just have to watch your captive view or just watch the screen. Either way, you're giving something up and it's not fair. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Rants are perfectly fine. Perfectly acceptable. I love them personally. Good. Um, 
So let's move back to the festival a little bit. Yes, sorry. What were some of your favorite films that you think you saw? Like Ooh. ones that kind of stood out for specific reasons. Okay. Um, I thought that this festival, it was one of our most profitable profitable festivals. We had like record-breaking sellout shows and turnouts and stuff like that. So the films were good. Um, just to, if you want to kind of base that off of monetary value and attendance value. Um, but I only got to watch five films during the festival. Um, but leading up to the festival, I watched a ton because I didn't know which ones I was going to be doing Q&As for and stuff. Um, and also just like ask submissions, like programming. But uh, I have to say, I think... <laughs> My very favorite film is actually a short film, and it's called, um, well, I have so many short films that I love, but this one that sticks out in my memory is uh, called The Other Side of the Box. And oh, it, did I you get to see one. it? I it did. was It was programmed in the late night shorts, which another thing I love about shorts is that you can group them together into something really beautiful and do really experimental programming. So for those of you listening, again, the late night shorts are where we kind of put our, like, off the collar, like funny stuff, horror stuff, um, just like weird experiment. I use the word weird lovingly, um, but experimental films. Um, and they're all shorts and we just kind of put them there and it's like encouraged that you kind of go and you can like drink or it's like late at night and it's just like really fun and really relaxed. Um, and so the short that I'm talking about, I wish I could remember the director's name. I should know that and give him a shout out. It's okay, Caroline. Lorena of the future is here to look out for you. The director of Other Side of the Box is Caleb J. Phillips, and the film was written by Caleb J. Phillips and Nick Tag. It's this, it's like a horror film, um, and it's this box was delivered and uh, to a couple from her like ex-boyfriend, and they open it up. And, um, basically you have to keep your eyes on the box or else it's like a really, 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 really scary guy just like slowly inches out. And so as soon as you like look away, he like moves a little bit more out of the box, but he has the most terrifying haunting eyes that I've ever seen. He's like bald. His eyes are perfectly round and look like they're about to pop out of his like head um and it is just like such a simple like horse like story concept is there's this like creature that's going to come out of your box unless you like watch it and so um and it's like I think like 15 minutes it's like perfect short length in my opinion um and very effective and like very scary like I really like it has stuck with me for so long I cannot imagine I didn't get to make it to any of the late night short screenings but like I'm almost like gonna start nervous laughing because I can't imagine seeing that (laughs) on a huge screen like I can't imagine his eyes just watching you while you are in a dark room like oh my god it was I went to the late night shorts with a couple of other um, volunteers. Mm-hmm. It was the last thing that we yeah. got to see at the like, film festival. <laughs> and we were just like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so fun. So we kind of like read the descriptions of everything, but yeah. not like in detail enough. And we we're just like, okay, there's a box. And <laughs> the way that it was just kind of played up, and it was so, it, you're right, it was so simple. Mm-hmm. And everything just went together. You had, like, these stories that are going yes. on of, like, relationships. Exactly. But also just, like, 
there's a monster in the box and it's staring at you. And you don't even know what he's going to do when he gets out of the box. And he's like dripping wet. Oh, <laughs> so cool. Like it's so just like such good horror film, film uh, horror film filmmaking. Um, and then a fun little tidbit. The reason that like extra stands out in my mind is because he was another director, like filmmaker that came in. I think he was based in Charlotte. So he was like really close. Um, and he just drove in to see it and he, uh, was like really excited. He was like, yeah, this is like really cool. Like y'all are showing my film. Like, that's awesome. I didn't think really anybody was going to see it. Um, and then he told us that the guy in the box was actually their sound guy. And that's how that was cast. And I was like, wow, what a, like an incredible thing to be like you get in the box. Like, I think you're perfect for this oh role. I just came to hold a boom mic guy. Yeah. This is not like, and so he's like, not even like specifically there to be an actor. And he's incredible so that was like one of my favorites I could really go on and on and on and on one thing I really like about film festivals too is that it gives the space to talk about and discuss topics that in mainstream like movie going experience would not gain a lot of popularity Mm -hmm. or wouldn't even be produced yes really and you kind of get this opportunity to explore things that people might not go to see blockbuster films about. Yes. Um, And that could range anywhere from relationships that are taboo Mm -hmm. to political programming to all of these things. And it just kind of opens up the space of this is something that we need to talk about too. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something that people need to know about. Like, yeah. Or like, look, I just love like that to me is the power of film is like, bringing things to people and then almost like forcing you to like it (laughs) or forcing you to talk about it or challenging you and making you think about it. But like you said, showing that it exists period is like really cool. What do you think is next for River Run when it comes to, because the festival has been getting so much bigger Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of bookend by um full frame as well and like a couple other yeah and and, which i love (laughs) but it's such a good and such an important festival yeah and people rave about it all the time and (laughs) southern hospitality yes peak at this festival it is um but i see where i see this film festival growing is um I want to make it so this festival I got part of my job was to do something called pitch fest and it was like took place on a Friday morning um, and throughout like leading up to the festival I kind of reached out to a bunch of schools mainly in North Carolina to see if they had any student filmmakers uh, documentary specifically who wanted a chance to pitch their film that they wanted to be maker that that they wanted to make or had been working on um, and pitch it in the way it's set up is there's like these three um, panelists and they are like really, really, really cool and really plugged in and just like good people for people uh, in the industry to know. Um, And so they have five minutes to pitch their film and then they get feedback on it. And so we only had four schools participate and they were all incredible. I was like, after having (laughs) done so much public speaking leading up to that Friday, I was like, how are y'all like not nervous? And like your voices aren't (laughs) quivering at all. You look so calm up there. Um, And like, it was awesome. But 
it's such a great learning opportunity. So what we really want to do is like expand that and make it just like something where like schools from all over the country can come to if they have the funds and they have the means, because like we don't really have the structure in place right now to support that. Um, but you do win a cash prize if you win. So there's like kind of that incentive, like for first and second place you get, or runner up, you get, um, a cash prize to kind of go towards making your film. Um, but I want to expand it into more of like, I want there to be more things that people can come and like learn and gain tangible things for skills and, um, insight from, and make it more educational in that regard. And then I don't know if the film will get longer. I don't think it needs to 11 days is a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think just kind of expanding it in a more progressive sense of like, like what we already have been speaking about, like open caption and more sensory friendly screenings and just making it more like something that everybody gets to come to. It's just my dream kind of broadening those things. So like River Run just has so much room to just keep growing. And I really like feel it in my heart that it's going to be like just a spot kind of like, I remember one filmmaker told me, she was like, yeah, this is like a lot of my friends, like and like filmmaker friends. She's like, this is on their wish list. And I was like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that. So I'm really excited to see where the festival grows in like the next like 10 years, even five, honestly, I could think it'll be, huge so um what I think is such a strength of River Run is that it's or like just film festivals in general um is that like the filmmakers are there and they're present and they're doing these Q&As and a part of festival culture and like festival workings is like the conversation like it's not just to watch the film and to log the film and have your review of it it's to just like talk about it and maybe come to a different conclusion than you originally had, but like leaning into that and really like hoping that that maybe happens. Um, and like just making, like bringing to the foreground, the, the social nature of cinema, which I love to just stress to people. And then Aperture Cinema is really expanding in that it's having a lot more special events where people are present to kind of have these post-film discussions. Like just within the last year, that has completely like exploded at Aperture. Um, but it's still not its like main mode. Its main mode is just like, you know, like the screenings run at like five times a day or two times a day. And then you leave, you know, maybe you talk about it with whoever you've like seen it with. And like, that's still present. I still celebrate that. But it is just, I think people really crave that. And then a film festival, just like, that's a part of it. And so um, it's not that I would ever choose between the two, but I really, really do want that to maybe, I, I really just feel like film festivals could be what like just saves like the whole movie, like in a big dark room experience. You know what I mean? Cause like people talk about streaming kind of encroaching on stuff like that, or like more isolated viewing experiences, but to me, film festivals could be like what brings all kinds of different people together to watch the same film and then discuss. And like that, I think is really healthy and can do a lot of good in the world. So that was what I was going to say earlier. <laughs> okay, I know you have to go see. I know. <laughs> but this has been an amazing conversation. You'll have to send it to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, I will. And also, do you have any um, social media or anything? I do. Like, put down? Yes. I, can, I can plug myself too it's Coraline MC like the movie um, on Instagram and then my Twitter also fun fact film Twitter is my favorite place um, my I have two Twitter accounts and the one that I'm going to plug is called uh, the Shareline show 
And so, um, you really can't miss it. I think my bio literally says like, I love share. Um, and so if you want to keep up with my like constant and I like truly mean constant, like film mind processes, uh, you can follow me there. Now that I think about it, I don't think I was ever really afraid of film festivals, just intimidated by them. But though they can be flashy at times, most of them have the same goal and truth in mind, the love of a good story and the appreciation of those who can tell it well. And if you can get behind that, I think you may find a home among the moviegoers. You've been listening to Set the Scene, a podcast all about the people and work that goes into creating our media and entertainment. Set the Scene is written and produced by me, Lorena Morton. Special thanks to Dr. Spring Duval, Dr. Carol Dykers, the Salem College Communication Department, and the Forsyth County Public Library. You can follow me online at Lore the Legend on Twitter, and Lorena is not interesting on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and tune in for the second part of my interview with Caroline, where we discuss what it takes to make a film that's not about you at all. If you like this podcast, don't forget to give it a rating and share it with your friends. See you soon. Except not really, because this is definitely audio. But bye anyway. Thank you.